Welcome to the first show of Lei Curates. I curate, my name's Lei. <laughs> and I have with me uh, a guest I've had before. Um, we talked about uh, Harari's book. Right. Adrian right. Popovelli, a digital artist, a visual artist, digital artist in Berlin. Yeah, I call myself a visual artist. Visual artist, yes. And uh, although I do a lot of digital work and mostly on the phone, but we can get into that. Yes, you used to call yourself mobile artist. We can get into that, why you would call yourself that and why you would call yourself a visual artist now. Sure. Instead uh, of a mobile artist. Would you like to discuss that now? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or we you sound way too polite. Yes, or we could get into that later. Uh, well, I mean, I had sort of chosen, I thought mobile art is a term I had chosen in 2016. And okay. Since I've always sort of considered myself an artist, I felt like I had somewhat, I had felt like the term mobile art really described art that was made on the phone. And I had begun making a lot of art on the phone because I found it to be a very fresh uh, medium. And for several reasons, which we could get into, and uh, so I love the term. I sort of saw it, and in some respects, I still see it as the next big thing. Um, like creating art with mobile phones? With mobile phones. I, I think it's where you get the freshest uh, uh, visual imagery, just in terms of the creation. I, I think it's just the most interesting, although it's not really exploited that much. But so I, anyways, I, I had sort of uh, focused on a lot of what I was originally calling phone art, and I realized it was mobile art was the better term because you can make an iPad as well. And uh, yeah, but then I realized, you know, I make a lot of physical art too, and I come out of painting. And so I didn't want to limit myself at the end of the day. And I felt the mobile art term was sort of pigeonholing me a little bit mm. as, uh, oh, that's a guy that makes art on his phone and that's all he does. And you know, some people still see that as a bit of a toy. It's pretty unconventional, which I'm okay with. Um, but I felt like it unnecessarily sort of limited. So it's like I'm a visual artist. I make static images for the most part, you know. And why visual artists instead of digital artists? Because nowadays a lot of people call themselves digital artists. Uh, for the same reason, because I am very concerned about the product mm -hmm. as far as uh, making something real. I, I make a lot of digital art, in a sense, art that doesn't really leave say the phone, hmm. I, again, I'd call that mobile, not digital, in a sense, and this actually brings <laughs> up, a, this brings up a very interesting <laughs> distinction, mm -hmm. because I sort of see mobile art as the next generation of digital. Like when I think of digital art, okay. even though mobile technically is digital. What about installation? Uh, we're just finishing up on the digital and mobile, and then we'll get to installation, uh, okay. which is a whole other very interesting issue. Uh, but digital, I sort of think of as Photoshop, someone mm -hmm. with a mouse in front of a desktop computer mm -hmm. and they're using a mouse really to create their thing. Maybe they have a Wacom tablet, mm -hmm. whereas mobile uses, say, touch primarily to put on, so it's a direct contact. And so it's, you know, it uses, I guess you can use screenshots for digital as well, but it's got a more organic feeling. Mm -hmm. Like in a sense, a lot of the shapes that you make on, say, mobile, on a phone or an iPad are really difficult actually to make uh, on desktop now technically you can do it. Oh really? Yeah, just say these because organic. Because you don't touch them. Because you let's mm -hmm. say you want to make a curved organic shape like an S or something. Interesting. To do that with a mouse is kind of complicated. Like I, I mm -hmm. yes you can do it, but it's not. It's kind of 
you know, it, it's not natural. You have to really think about it. You probably have to try three or four times. If I put my finger onto my phone, it's I might as well be putting it into a bunch of paint and then painting it on this table. It's the same same thing for me. So it's much more natural and organic, and so you get that speed, right? And these, so I actually see mobile as the next generation, really, of digital. Uh, Would so, you say that, like, for instance, digital art would be a little bit like just like digital with a mouse, and also like just working with a lot of software, whereas a mobile would be like direct human interaction. So it's like somewhere between digital and like. Painting and drawing and stuff like that, because it has a touch of like you know, organicness or like organic element to it. Yeah, it is a it's a complicated issue. Like I mean, ultimately, it is all from a technical point of view. It is all digital art, mm -hmm. right? Making art yeah, on a phone. Digital art has it's a digital device. Yeah, right? the so, medium. So that is true. Uh, so it's almost like. I think you could say like rock music is the same thing. Like some people might say rock was from like the sixties and seventies, uh -huh. but it's all rock music. It's like the same sort of, it's analogous, right? Mm -hmm. Digi it's all digital, but really there was kind of a, what I'd call like a certain quality of image that came out. It had a certain characteristics, essential characteristics that you could start to itemize uh, that, you know, came out in the, you know, with Photoshop really and it's kind of photoshop based i think or maybe a little You're bit of illustrator to get out of the photoshop era and i'm not i, I, <laughs> I use photoshop true? for making images bigger you know like mm. maybe for if i have a really big version you know i use photoshop for very mundane tasks but in mm. terms of creativity i'm all on the phone apps in terms mm. of if i'm working quote unquote digitally right Interesting. so that's uh does that clear up yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that, like, if I understand you correctly, you're trying to, like, retrieve some kind of, like, maybe not retro, but some kind of human touch um, in digital art, and that's why you'd rather call yourself um, a, mo a mobile artist or a visual artist now. Yeah, or l let's say even just the work that's made on the phone. I would prefer, I think it's more uh, appropriate to call it mm. mobile art over digital art, like as, as far as for me, because when I think digital again, mm -hmm. I think of this 1990s and, you know, this stuff from the 2000s, this sort of post-internet art. Yeah. That so, was the so beginning of digital art around the 1990s. Yeah, and it has a certain kind of, I mean, Windows... But nowadays, who isn't a digital artist? <laughs> right, it's got a kind of Windows 95 look to it, you know, so anyway, so we're, we're sort of parsing, you know, like, I mean... Windows 95. <laughs> right, like in... I remember you, having that computer. Windows 95, Windows something, 90 something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like one of the first computers we had. Yeah, I mean, that was Microsoft's big, like, that's where the, they became so huge that the U.S. government, you know, introduced anti, antitrust legislation, which we're seeing uh, happen actually just recently. Yeah, I think it was yesterday or the day before that she started launching that against some new internet companies. But anyways, so yeah. Uh, so anyway, I mean, these are not super clear-cut uh, distinctions and categories, but I think they're useful. And, and I think just a final thing on the mobile art, I mean, mobile art for a lot of art historian type people are these guys that do the things that are hanging, mm -hmm. like they're like sculptures. I can't remember the name of the artist. Oh yeah, you told me that was why you decided not to use the term mobile art, because it was used for something else? Uh, no, actually I was quite aware and I thought it was actually just a failure of the art his history crowd who were just... <laughs> 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 
like, I'm not, not going to call it mobile art because, you know, there's one yeah, artist that made those little sculptures that everybody seems to think are so wonderful. They're okay. You know, it's like a loose surrealism. Wait, who, yeah. who, who were they? Like, I what wish I could, they make? It's not Hans Arp, is it? I, it's, I don't think it's it, but it's some, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, maybe we could bring it up on your computer here. Uh, put mobile mobile art and you'll actually see their, these sculptures come up. Mobile art. Yeah, hmm. that what? guy. What? That guy. But that, why? I don't, I don't get it. Because in English, there's a word mobile is for hmm. those things that hang, from your, that hang from your ceiling for kids. And oh, they, so they call them I mobiles, see. right? I, I didn't now, even know they're Calder called mobiles. Is Alexander Calder? Oh, okay. So, so I'm thinking so. They're turning the children's thing into an art form, and then they call them mobile art. This looks quite interesting. Yeah, so that's anyway. like if you ask an art historian what's mobile art, they'll probably think of Alexander Calder. Mm. Okay, but I think that's just like, are we not going to use it for this massive new art form? Mm. That's ooh. <laughs> for, for this, being very passionate about my, uh, yeah, yeah. about this whole no, debate, I, you know. Like, break my but but anyway, so yeah, so that's those are some of my thoughts on it. I actually wrote a little essay on it online. You can find it on my medium. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about that. I so what is the essay that you're working on? I well, you know, I, I write every so often. Mm. I did a master's in English actually, and so I like to write. I mean, just to. Because I do tend to come up, so even just the mobile art thing, I come up with these ideas and you need to express these things. And so I have a medium and account and whatever. So that's, you know, I think I have an essay called Why Mobile Art mm, in, in quotes nice. and where I directly tackle this issue and I sort of outline it sort of philosophically. Mm. Um, and so now I actually don't want to talk about the essay I'm writing on now because it's sort of like a little bit top secret, but it's... <laughs> I'm very excited about it. Um, it has to do basically, you know, in it's very ambitious essay that's been in my head for a few years now, and which is actually a lot, a lot of my adult life mm. uh, is sort of been thinking about these topics, and it's just about say the how we how we privilege basically uh, external three dimensional space mm. at the expense of the imagination. And oh, that, we, that we don't, in a sense, take the imagination seriously. And that, I agree with you. Like, and it's, it sounds like a platitude, but it's, it's quite a radical thing when you start considering this idea of the imagination as a real space or like what you might call, some people would call it consciousness. I mean, there's a, mm -hmm. or an inner space, you know, J.G. Ballard would call it that. Um, and because... What you have with there is it doesn't obey the laws of physics. I mean, your world of dreams, your inner vision. How would you call it? Would you call it like, for instance, so you think like, because we dream three-dimensionally as well, or like maybe four-dimensionally. So, you know, that's really difficult. That's a very, yeah, which is a very interesting point. Right? And you're, it's you're like, trying well, to say like one-dimensional stuff, for instance, like writing, or like two-dimensional animation, or like drawing and painting would be more inspiring to our imagination because it in, inspires or requires it to work harder is that what you're trying to say uh, whereas like three-dimensional no, stuff would no, be just like things that's being feet being fed to us I, I think our inner space and i think why we call it inner space or i think we do have a stage like i mean where our dreams happen so it does kind of model 
three-dimensional space. Exactly. Or right? even four. However, mm-hmm. however, you take someone like M.C. Escher and his drawings, and you have impossible spaces. Mm. Right? Mm. So what do you do with that? MC right? Escher. So that, to me, is a sh- showing that in the imagination, mm. the imagination does not obey the laws of three-dimensional space. And we come with our scientific mindsets, mm-hmm. And we sort of dismiss the imagination and this sort of inner stage as this kind of like thing of fantasy. And even consciousness, we don't know what to do with it mm. uh, scientifically. It's called the hard problem of consciousness. David Chalmers is one of the big, he just gave a lecture at Google Talks in mm. February 2019. Because uh, AI and this whole idea of consciousness is very present and very topical right now. We are everywhere. And it's funny. So... <laughs> Just as a teaser, in a sense, I think the way that, say, Chalmers and a lot of the consciousness sort of philosophers and neuroscientists and experts, Mm. they're still trying to impose a three-dimensional, a kind of scientific paradigm Mm. onto understanding uh, inner space or uh, consciousness. And I think that's where they're screwing up. Like, they're trying to be radical, say, with panpsychism and this idea that consciousness is ever... These are old ideas. I mean, just go to Plato. I mean, they're, 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 they're going out and saying how radical their ideas are. And it's like 2,500-year-old. It's like Socrates in the marketplace, you know, in the Agora. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, so I have my own solution to this. What is your solution, then, Adrian? So, stay tuned. It's coming in the essay. And I think it's awesome. I want to finish the essay, though, before I say all the ideas. But I have a, a novel to me, very obvious solution that basically I watch lectures on this stuff and that nobody is talking about. And then they mm-hmm. say, we need radical ideas. And then they go to like these ancient, you know, not very creative ideas and putting on a three-dimensional mindset. Like they seem trapped in their three-dimensional scientific mm-hmm. mindset. And so anyway, not to get too lost into this discussion, but uh, so I have my own novel solution on that. And so we'll see. So, okay. so work in progress, and I'm working on right now. Hopefully, in the next month or so, I can cool. knock so that out. So it'll be an essay. It's an essay that'll be on Medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you going to translate it into some kind of artistic form or not? You know what's kind of interesting about it is it's sort of in a weird sort of way, it's a kind of manifesto of sorts, even though mm. it's very indirect. Okay, what what manifesto do you think it would be? It explains a lot of what's going on in my. Uh, work in terms of it's uh, just it's like it explains a lot of why I do what I do because I work on Mm -hmm. sort of I have a you know there's a lot of variety in my projects in a sense like I have Mm -hmm. three or four or five different projects which sort of are coming from very different angles Uh, but they're they're always yeah say so I'm working on yeah so for example right I'm working on uh, the Peloponnesian War which is sort of a, a very ambitious art book uh, 220 images uh, based on Thucydides' Peloponnesian War, which is uh, considered basically the first. I want to say, like I mean the first book on history was done by Herodotus about the Persian Wars, and then the first, but it's full of half myths and people, you know, escaping ships on dolphins and weird sort of mythological stuff. Whereas Thucydides is considered kind of the first guy to try and get it right, mm. and it says he's like the first reporter. Mm, in okay, history. so he's like half historian, half like 
artist in a way, but well, not Her- Dean Herod- an artist. Herodotus was sort of like, I mean, myth was getting mixed in and legend, whereas Thucydides is just a stone cold, he seems like an atheist. He's mm. trying to get uh, the story right of, oh, the, okay. of this, right? So it's like a, you might say the birth of reporting. Mm. As we Reportage. Know. Yeah, and he has certain, certain values and whatever that he's trying to get it right. Mm. And so I'm retelling that story of the Peloponnesian War uh, with Greek pottery as my mm. source imagery. So I mean, and what's interesting about that is from a digital or internet point of view is this wasn't possible, I would argue, without a tremendous amount of work before the internet. Like mm. If you want to track down 220 pieces of pottery and then take those images and then start to try and make works out of them, it would take you probably half a lifetime. Hmm. Right. So I, you transform those images from the potteries? Yeah, so a lot of my work is based on source imagery, say mm-hmm. screenshots and whatever. Oh, and, okay, and so so I'm used and it's all about you know, I come from that school of visual arts that sort of really uh, sees it as kind of alchemical mm-hmm. in a sense that you're trying to transform. You're trying <laughs> now, to tra- now trying to transform to the imagination talk. Yeah, in it's a sense, chemical. like it does all sort of circle back and I believe that yeah, so there's I don't need to make up, you know, like I have this line, I don't think we, the world doesn't need any more Picassos. We don't need another way of doing a portrait. Mm, what do uh, we need? We need synthesis. We're, we're drowning in images and we need to start putting things in context. Like deduction, reduction. Like juxtaposition, take the surrealist sort of thing. Like what happens? Like mm. say last night I was working on a, one of these vase images. Uh, so I have this ancient Greek pottery and then I was like, I need some fire. So I go to William Blake. Oh. Uh, and I'm getting fire from William Blake. I'm putting these on the same thing, and also it's getting By, ri- like doing screenshots. Yeah, and I use it as source symmetry, right? Oh, and even if you were to start tracing the stuff, a lot of tracing, mm-hmm. right? And I, some of my favorite artists are tracers. You know, you look at Warhol, you look at Lichtenstein. Uh, there's a, you look at Sigmar Polka. So there's an element of like copying in it as well. Big time, yeah. In a sense, like to me, using popular imagery kind of makes it, in some respects, kind of relevant. You know, it's like oh. You know, the way you become a part of the tradition is you have conversation with the tradition. Yeah, we have that conversation. Right? Otherwise, you're making, you. otherwise you're making folk art, and that's not to put down folk art. I, some, I love Henri Rousseau. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at Henri Rousseau's work, uh, you don't see uh, a whole bunch of art historical references like you'd find in Edouard Manet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and they're still brilliant, beautiful, some of the most gorgeous works of art you're ever going to find with Henri Rousseau. Um, but again, if you want to have that conversation with the tradition, it's a different kind. It's more philosophical conversation. Uh, in a sense, I would call that the big game. Mm. And so when, to me, it's incredibly powerful to be able to even Warhol. Like, I mean, they couldn't take images like we have access to images where I can just go Blake fire. And then I'm starting to get Blake and fire. And I just go within 10 seconds, I have that and I'm tracing it. And and I'm doing my alchemical transformation of it. Mm. And then all of a sudden I have my Greek transformation with my Blake transformation, with my weirdly colored text. And all of a sudden I have something new. Mm. And so to me, the role of the artist today with all the images that we're drowning in is really to synthesize, to make sense of. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't need some guy, a new Picasso. Like it's like, it's well, a lot, like you know. It's for almost, instance, my go, question go would be like, with somebody like uh, Warhol, I think his interest—he was interesting in his time, and he's still interesting nowadays as an artist, as like a 
basically someone who really defines the contemporary art because he kind of he doesn't just like make art but he make he makes comments on society he takes things and objects out so i think a lot of what he does which is very interesting and what a lot of artists are not doing nowadays is not only that he takes like popular images like you know mcdonough or like the can uh the the soup can and stuff like that but he also actually give that some kind of context and then use that to comment on like pop culture pop art or like our consumer culture totally so what what you're doing my question would be if you put all those elements together by sourcing images it's yes you, you know you're referring back to the to the history of images and to like you're making comments on the past but i think i'm curious like what kind of comment they're trying to make on the present with the new imagery that you're creating and i think that's something that's quite like interesting about Warhol and some like contemporary artists they're very focused on their contemporary issues and then they make like really quick comments on it you know Warhol has been known for his quickness like very quick responses oh, yeah. and, like which is a very productive you know? I, I, yeah which is a very important point I, in a sense the quality speed is the yeah, quality yeah, speed. Of, of contemporary artists I, I would argue like some people I mean and that's a big generalization but which is part of what you're doing as well yeah i'm very proud of my speed because i, I am because i'm one of those guys that learned the hard way i used uh -huh. to spend like, yeah, yeah. you know two years on two paintings yeah, literally true. like I don't, my dad saw the paintings he's like these are insane like and it wasn't a compliment I, I want to it wasn't see a compliment it was like yeah they're at the very bottom of my website you'll see Futures and options, and you'll see these I'll paintings. I'll put a link down below. I'm just yeah. so curious. And you'll see these strange, <laughs> strange paintings. But they actually sort of help illustrate, really, if you're trying to understand, say, my work, they will actually sort of, you'll see where I came kind of intellectually, the journey. Anyways, uh, Warhol said about Basquiat, I'll never forget, this is my favorite comment about Warhol, mm. of Warhol on Basquiat, was what I'm most jealous or I'm most envious is about is his speed yes like he's so fast so quick. and i think that's a profound point yeah you know and and that's sort of like the gift of our our time in a way you know and also probably poison as well depending on like what you do with it well absolutely like and yeah so it, it's a quality of our time is mm -hmm. speed so if you're trying to make art that's relevant to your point about say contemporary issues i think speed kind of it doesn't need to be like you can spend a week on a painting. That's not the end of the world, you know. And that's sometimes, so quick. You, but yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but but it's an interesting point, hey? Like, I mean, if you were to say, "Oh, I spent two years on a painting," mm. like I've I've had friends that have been like, "I've been working on this project for three years," and and already I'm already feeling pity. But but I haven't even seen the work, <laughs> right? And I'm already feeling pity, like, "Oh, oh no." Yeah, oh no, yeah, the pressure's yeah. on. on. This, this better be good. And it's like, so this is what you did with three years of your life. Right? Yeah. Uh, so the pressure's on, and it's nicer to take a more scientific, experimental approach where you're just like, okay, it's about your process. Mm, you I, know, and I, it's about getting a good process. Mm -hmm. Like, those are my favorite painters. I think the great painters of the 20th century, a lot of them. They show you the it's process. A, they sh not, yeah, they show you the process. Like, you can see how they're made, which is a very interesting point. Um, that was actually Hockney's point on Van Gogh. One of the pleasures we take in Van Gogh's work mm. is we can see how they were constructed. We can see how the paintings were constructed. Mm -hmm. um, and you look at Van Gogh. I just was at Tate Britain in uh, London, 
And what was so jealous? Oh, it was good. <laughs> and, and they didn't have that many Van Goghs, but you see the people that they also showed, say, some British artists that were influenced by Van Gogh. Mm. So you see these kind of like, you know, not to put them down too much, but these sort of sad imitations. And then you see like this, there's this Van Gogh with the branches that wasn't that good. Mm. And I was like, but it, compared to the other imitations, like people who were influenced, his was so much better. And you can tell it's the process. Mm. It's like his process was so sophisticated so evolved, so refined. Process. Yeah, like, I mean, you can start to see, like, mm. and I consider him, even though it's like, a, here's me using terms that are not the way they're supposed to be used, I see him as a process painter. Mm. Now, if you look up process painting mm. in Wikipedia, you're going to find Saul LeWitt, you know, and I think they get the definition right, uh-huh. where it's like, they get but the you definition. you think Van Gogh is a, a process painter. In my universe, he is. Zygmar Polka, Warhol is a total process painter in the sense that you have, there's, you know, if they gave you instructions on how to build their paintings, you mm-hmm. could do it. Really? For the most part, right? Like a Warhol for sure, you know? Mm. Interestingly, um, and all of the images that show up on Google actually look like kind of Van Gogh y. Yeah, so you know, those look pretty. Yeah, so. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, so in terms of the, how is the Peloponnesian War, say, contemporary, I would say... Yeah, what is the comment that you're trying to make with So another way, from a content perspective, the Peloponnesian War is sort of like the first, and it's sort of seen as the Bible of military history, mm. you know, like the White House. I mean, I remember seeing an article not that long ago, how they're obsessed with Thucydides' Peloponnesian War. I was just like, okay, check, we're on the right track here. <laughs> uh, and because it's about, it's considered a timeless sort of, it has timeless insights into human nature and why mm-hmm. people go to war. And at least brings up a lot of the issues. It's not necessarily the final To say, clarify, the Peloponnesian War, it's a book, right? Yeah, that's the name of a book. And basically... That has a lot of images and text on it. Just text. Oh, just text. Yeah. The images came from the potteries that you... Yeah, so I've decided, because I was looking at you know, uh, Dali and, and Rauschenberg had their series on Dante's Infer- Inferno. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I was looking at these, and I was looking for just a quick Dante's sort of thing. Dante's Inferno in the Peloponnesian War. I, I was thinking, okay, yeah, because you take a famous book from history, or the Bible is like your classic, where artists have been mining the Bible for narratives to depict for millennia, right? Mm-hmm. Two to 2,000 years, um, especially the last thousand, let's say. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I just, you know, read the Peloponnesian War, which is a very difficult book. I'd watched all these lectures on, from the great courses, the teaching, what used to be the teaching company. What language is that in? Uh, it's in ancient Greek, but I re- read an English translation. I don't okay. know, ancient Greek. And uh, I was like, oh, nobody's done an art book on the Peloponnesian War. Mm. And here's, you know, and it's kind of like this great tradition. You have, Don- uh, you have Dali and uh, Rauschenberg doing Dante. Why don't I do Thucydides? With me and my great ambition. <laughs> I can do this too, right? Uh-huh. And so, yeah, so I started doing, because there's a lot of famous quotes that come out of it. Yeah, so, but I, I, when I was looking at your image, I also didn't get it. Like, I thought that both the image and the text came from the Peloponnesian War book. But no. now you explained they're actually from two different places. But why them together then? Like, what's the, the sense behind it? So I'm using Greek pottery mm-hmm. uh, to retell the story. But how do you decide like what text and what image to come together? So that's a great question, actually, because there's 
Yeah, like at first I would sort of just pick, oh, here's a vase painting, here's a, so randomly, here's a, here's a quote, these seem to go well together. Mm -hmm. This seems to go well. But then all of a sudden as the project went from 10 images to two, over 200, I had to create a database. Like again, this is another one of these like where the internet and computers started becoming a very important part of the like the underlying the background process because just to organize 220 images with quotes and images that took like a long time. Like it wasn't easy to do that, and I'm, so now because I was starting to lose track. I mean, I'd go on my phone and all of a sudden I was like, "Have I used this image before? Have I used this plot before? Have I used this quote before? <laughs> Have I used this plot before?" <laughs> so I had to organize everything. Like I had to put, okay, here are all my quotes in chronological order. Mm. Here are all the pots, the Greek phase painting from Pinterest, from Google Images, from all these different places, mm. you know, Metropolitan Museum of Art, whatever. And this, and then I had to choose, okay, this pot goes with this quote. I can't use this and I can't use this pot again, or this vase, I should say. And and there was somewhat of a random process, mm. but then, I, so I put it down randomly first, because sometimes you get these great juxtapositions. I'm not necessarily looking for a literal retelling of, oh, that retells that quote the best and looks like almost like a comic book. Mm. I'm looking for a little bit of more alchemy, a little bit more surrealist. But they do speak to each other, I would say, based on like what I've seen so far. Yeah, yeah, I, and I try and get there to be some kind of relationship because you don't want to just do random stuff, otherwise it just looks weird. We, we need to talk again about the surrealism thing. I'm so into it, but no. Oh, yeah, yeah. deeply. Because I, I really it, think that what you're doing right now sometimes reminds me of like the, what the surrealist painters and like, you know, and um, like filmmakers are doing with images and text. Like, what they do is that they actually put text and image together and they somehow speak to one another. Because I think a lot of the art that we see nowadays has the problem of like the text explaining an installation or a piece of art or whatever, and then when you read the text, you don't want to see the image. Or when you see the image, you don't really need the text, and why the text? Like, totally. you don't really need both. But I think what's really interesting that, that hasn't been tried up till maybe like surrealism and afterwards was really like how you can make text and images speak to one another so that like, one or the other wouldn't suffice as itself, but then the two actually, like, you know, as what she said, make alchemy together. That's why I'm so into, like, how you process this, this like, two things and how do you decide to have them two together? Yeah, when I was putting them together, I'd actually printed them all out. And it felt like magic, to be honest. Like, really? when I was taking this, these old ancient vases from Greece and putting these old quotes together... Yeah. I didn't intend it, but also when I was doing this, I was like, this feels like kind it of... It feels right! Playing, like, for me, as an artist, I felt like I was playing with a lot of power. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, these are iconic. And to your point about text and image, in that juxtaposition, I mean, this is what surrealism is, is l'autre-amant, like, I mean, the classic image of surrealism is l'autre-amant from the Chande Maldoror, which is the wedding of an umbrella and a sewing machine on an operating table, right? Mm -hmm. And Ernst went back to that, everybody. That was like the classic uh, canonical image. Mm -hmm. And it was a literary image too, mm -hmm. right? Literary in what sense? Uh, it was written. Like mm -hmm. Lothar Amand wrote that. He wasn't a painter. Mm -hmm. He was an, a writer, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. that's and another thing. Writers and painters working very close to each together. You did. You had Jari, who was a playwright. You had, like, and so yeah. Dali wrote... One of my wrote, favorite 
filmmaker as well, Bonuel. Yeah, yeah, Bonuel. I mean, and Dali was like, I still think his uh, books are underrated. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, his books are. Oh, yeah, recommend it. His book, I haven't read it yet. Yeah, he's got a few. Uh, Diary of a Genius is hilarious. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, it's just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, so they're great, great books. So, um, yeah, so. I embrace that, like, again, I did a master's in English. I wrote on Ballard's Atrocity Exhibition or whatever. So I've sort of internalized this for, you know, 20 years now. And, uh, and Oh, the camera is off. Okay. So, so basically, we our camera get cut off. So we're, we're, we're back to our discussion. And we talked a little bit about surrealism. I don't know if that was actually in the, the, the video. Mm-hmm. But then maybe we should save that for another time because... I love to talk about surrealism. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I can't talk like, nonstop. Uh, I actually have the book with me in my apartment, so we can yeah, like you've studied this stuff quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. So, I'm like yeah. a big surrealist fan. We have, should definitely do that. We'll have an in-depth discussion and about on imagination. It's like yeah. the key word for surrealist is yeah. imagination. Is that right? Yeah. Like I mean, it I makes mean, sense I mean, to my me. understanding of surrealism sure. is that that their key word would be uh, imagination, and that would be. Yeah, I yeah think the world the of imagination. You know, like uh, Ballard's great uh, definition of surrealism is where inner and outer reality meet and fuse. Yes. Right, that yeah, wonderfully yeah. economic yeah. definition, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, to, to that, that concern with inner space. Oh, my God, we have to read uh, um, Inner Experience as well. I think that's a book that, uh, that Mai has a lot to do with what you were just talking about. You know, I've never even heard of it. Inner, inner experience. Inner experience by uh, Georges Bataille. He's also. Oh, Georges Bataille. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I have that book. With I didn't even realize he Where wrote a book called. It's a, yeah, I might have that book. It's here. very. Uh, it might be in China. Tantalizing, provocative title. Yeah, inner experience is very, very well written. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, anyway, here's Ballard's here. crash. Oh, yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah, my kind of podcast. We right? uh, we recorded a video on that. We should do it again. We should. There we can, was a technical that. problem that that yeah. We'll loop it. that into the surrealism discussion, yeah, and we can have this. Sure. Maybe when I write that essay in a month or whatever, we can uh, circle back and have an in-depth uh, discussion on surrealism. Yeah, I have a uh, Bataille's document. It's just like the magazine that published during the, the surrealist period and it has a lot of like the images and text and everything and what they wrote on surrealism and Breton and everything. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. I'll show you the book afterwards. But, yeah, um, sounds good. We should probably call it a day. Good, okay. Our first ever, my first ever interview, Blake Harris. Thank you so much for having me on, and it was an absolute pleasure to talk about this, and I really enjoyed the questions. So, yeah, so hopefully we can do it again. <laughs> yeah, we will do it again. All right. Thank you for, for watching. Great, thanks, And Mike. for listening. All right, see you guys. Ciao.